Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, May 8th. It's going to be a bit of a different podcast today than normal, and to some of you hardcore fans out there, this may not be news, but we here at Cracked Rackets are thrilled to announce the launching of our newest podcast series. It's called the Inside Out Podcast, and it's going to offer an in-depth telling of some of the most intriguing oral histories, rivalries, and narratives from tennis's past. And the reason we're so excited about this product is it's just different than anything else we've done at Cracked Rackets before. It's not just going to be an interview between two Two people. It's not going to be just us chatting about various topics from throughout the tennis world in one podcast. And look, we're never shy here at Cracked Rackets. Our pods like to get to that hour and a half, two hour range. I like to push the boundaries of what super producer Daniel Westoff thinks is possible. But, you know, this is going to be a different series. It's going to be, you know, 20 minute episodes at most condensed and focused on one topic in particular, telling a story on a particular subject that we find intriguing from the tennis world and season one of the Inside Out podcast focuses on a topic near and dear to my heart. It's the history of American men's tennis from the open era and look as someone who was born in the United States of America of course I was predisposed to grow up rooting for American tennis players and as someone who grew up predominantly uh, as a tennis fan in the age of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, most of the best players from the men's tour were were not American-born. They were, you know, uh, from various parts elsewhere in the globe. And for me, that made an interesting time as a tennis fan because my fandom was global as well. I didn't limit myself to only rooting for the John Isners, the Sam Queries, the Bryan brothers of the world. Um, But there was a time period where, as an American tennis fan, maybe that is all you did. You could just root for American male players and get your fix in. And, you know, obviously there have been so many fantastic players to transcend American men's tennis history. People like Arthur Ashe and John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi. The list goes on and on and on. But what I wanted to do in this podcast, season one, is based on an article series I wrote in 2017, is I wanted to go back in time and look at who was the best American male tennis player at any given moment throughout the Open era. And, you know, what did that player and their standing do for tennis? tennis in America? What did it do to broaden the larger American men's tennis community? And, you know, how did that player, you know, what was that player's impact on American men's tennis? Uh, What is the impact, the legacy of their career? And we look at a bunch of different players. Again, there are going to be some names in there that are very obvious that we discuss. People like Arthur Ashe and John McEnroe and the aforementioned people I mentioned. But maybe you're going to learn some names that you didn't know about. Maybe you're going to learn about the depth in American men's tennis from a certain era, era or that maybe you're going to learn that the lack of depth we experienced in the 2010s isn't something 
something out of the ordinary, that it's actually happened before as well. And so we think this is a series you all are thoroughly going to enjoy. Of course, I cannot give enough credit to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who brings in just some incredible sound bites, puts his editing spin on it, does the job that he always does oh so well. Uh, So what we're going to be doing on today's uh, podcast, today's mini break episode, is playing our introduction episode of that Inside Out podcast series. Now, for those of you who are curious, I'm all, you know, maybe you're already intrigued, you're sold, you want to go know and where you can find that series and listen to the entirety of season one right away because season one, which we call The Belt, which again looks at the history of American men's tennis in the open era and who was the best player in any given season, is already released on all the various platforms wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Pods, elsewhere. You can find the Inside Out podcast already, so be sure to go check that series out. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review it, and you know, let us know what you think about it because, again, this is season one focuses on American men's tennis. We've already recorded so many interviews for season two. I can't give away what the topic is just yet, but I will say this. It involves us deep uh, taking a deep dive into college tennis, and it's, you know, the topic of season two is probably the reason I would say I am a tennis podcaster. I don't know if I am a tennis podcaster. I like to think I'm a tennis podcaster. That's probably a topic for another time. Uh, but the topic for season two of Inside Out is something truly near and dear to my heart, and we've had some incredible participation for the uh, from the subjects of season two. So this is a series that it's going to be ongoing, and it's going to change again topic to topic based on season by season. But we think it's something you all will really enjoy, so be sure to go check out the Inside Out podcast. That's spelled inside-out, I-N-S-I-D-E-O-U-T, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, with that being said, before we get to episode one, just have to quickly remind all of you that these podcasts, the Mini Break podcast, are made possible by our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. And it's because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and have tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouses to your home. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And even better, let's say you are someone who doesn't know exactly the sort of racket you need or what sort of shoes would best fit your style of movement, what sort of string would accentuate the finer features of your game. Well, the good news is their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with all tennis equipment, many of them tennis players themselves, and can help you find that perfect tennis racket, perfect tennis shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. All you have to do to get involved, go to MidwestSports.com. I promise you are going to see some form of gear, some form of apparel, strings, racket that appeals to you, and you're going to want to purchase that. Now, the good news for you is they constantly have various sales and discounts available for you, but if you want to lock in a quick discount for yourself, get that item, go to their clickout, get to go to the checkout, be sure to put in our promo code CR15 to get 15% off sale items. Now, there are some exclusions that may apply, and the code will not work on those items, but this code will also add one free can of Wilson Balls to the cart at checkout. The code expires August 1st, but they are looking to extend it if you 
Cracked listeners are interested. So you go to MidwestSports.com. You find the gear you like. You use the promo code CR15. You get a free can of Wilson Balls topped on or to add on top of everything else. That's a win for all of us. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. All right. With that being said, I will touch on some news after episode one, but let's get rocking and rolling. This is Inside Out episode one, the introduction episode of our newest series, The Belt. Welcome to The Belt, our latest mini-series here at Cracked Rackets. And for some of you Cracked fans, you may remember this as an article series we published back in 2017 looking at the best American men tennis players throughout the course of the Open era. We wanted to re-examine that now, talk about those Americans, run that series in podcast form. This is going to be a multi-part series. We're going to start all the way back with Arthur Ashe, work our way through to the next genres you're seeing now, and we hope you're going to get a better perspective on what has been an incredible, illustrious history of American men's tennis. But for now, we hope you enjoy the belt. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. In 2013 and 14, Bill Barnwell of Grantland wrote a series of columns awarding hypothetical championship belts to the best running backs, quarterbacks, and pitchers on a year-to-year basis in their respective sports histories. In team sports, athletes' legacies are often reduced to the total number of titles their team won during their career. So as to hone in on the individual, Barnwell's column recognizes athletes whose greatness transcended their position. However you want to slice it in terms of in terms of this status as a global icon, in terms of what they contributed to the sport, to popular culture, to to the levels they attained on the court, it's Jordan. And by the way, I think he's also the best of all. By any metric, Tom Brady's legacy is cemented. His greatness, unquestioned. I mean, the guy, he's literally what everybody's striving to be when it comes to longevity. These athletes set a standard of excellence for all who played at the time and all who would play the position in the future. The championship belt, according to Barnwell, belonged to the guy who would be considered by most fans of the league as the best. To put that in an abstract way, let's say a group of alien invaders came tomorrow and said, Hey, Earth, give us your best tennis player. The belt would belong to the player we would nominate to represent us. The purpose of this series is to determine which American male at any given time in tennis history held the mantle of being the best American man in tennis. 
American men have won over 200 of the men's singles, men's doubles, and mixed doubles grand slams played in the open era. Names like Arthur Ashe, John McEnroe, and Pete Sampras don't just resonate with American tennis fans, they transcend the sport's illustrious history. I grew up watching and envying Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray, as did every other player and fan my age. However, as an American, I have always had a particular affection for American players. I've been fortunate enough to watch Serena and Venus dominate on the women's circuit for more than a decade, yet I cannot remember witnessing an American male win a Grand Slam singles title. I became a diehard American tennis fan the day I saw Marty Fish reach the gold medal match at the Olympics in Athens. However, since that day, I have anxiously waited for a potential American male single slam champion to emerge. I admire today's greats, but I continue to yearn for the day when an American player sits atop the ATP rankings. Tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of the first U.S. Open tennis tournament here in New York. The main stadium at the Flushing Queens facility is named for the first winner of the tournament, African-American tennis champion Arthur Ashe. But while players like the Williams sisters and Sloane Stephens have dominated American women's tennis for the last 20 years, American men have not fared nearly as well. It's been years since Andy Roddick played in the U.S. Open Finals, the last Grand Slam championship won by an American male. I have decided to apply a modification of the Barnwell method to determine the best American tennis player at any given point throughout the Open era. The ATP ranking system catalogs each match, propelling players up or down depending on their results. And while these year-end rankings reflect the totality of each player's performance during that season, they do not fully represent the extent to which certain players dominate on a given year. Take Roger Federer's 2017 season, for example. He won two of the season's four Grand Slam titles, won a total of 44-4 and four overall on the season, and won seven of the 12 events he played in. Nobody could have seen this coming. Roger starting his year by winning the Australian Open and then sweeping the Sunshine Double, Indian Wells, and Miami. Starting the year 19-1, and one, his best start since 2006. It's incomprehensible. Beyond that surface-level success, he also put together a 4-0 record against his biggest rival and that season's year-end number one, Rafael Nadal, in their four encounters during that 2017 season. Yes, Rafa played six more events than Federer and went 65-10 and 10 himself on the year, and I'm certainly not trying to diminish what he accomplished during that 2017 season. But when I tell you that both guys won two Grand Slams, both guys won over five titles on the season, and Federer was the one who went 4-0 in their head-to-head matches. Don't you think it's fair to argue that Roger had the better season? Here's the criteria I used in judging each of these players. Number one, Grand Slam titles. It feels kind of obvious, but if you weren't winning slams, you're not going to qualify for this competition. Number two, year-end rankings. Where were you finishing? Was it number one, the number two American? Certainly you had to finish in the top three to qualify. And if you were top 10, top five, even number one in the ATP, that would help you out as well. Number three, popularity amongst fans. 
Yes, this is a subjective quality, but were Sports Illustrated writing about you? Did we see your pieces in the New York Times? As you were playing matches, did your success resonate with the fans? While subjective, it's certainly something we factor in in these rankings. Number four, Davis Cup success. It seems fairly obvious, but Davis Cup is one of, if not the only, team competition played together by American men. Were you leading those American men's teams? How many Davis Cup titles did you bring home for our country? All of those sorts of things also factor in if you were the face of American men's tennis. Number five, success on the American Junior Tour. People like Colette Lewis now make it seem that much more obvious, but even back in the day, events like the Easter Bowl, the Orange Bowl, Kalamazoo, were producing eventual top pro players. Did any of these players win Kalamazoo? Were they top juniors? That certainly factored in building up their clout and probably helped them in category number three with their popularity amongst fans, and that's why it's part of the criteria we included in this exercise. And last but not least at number six, head-to-head records. Again, were you beating your fellow Americans? Were you beating the other top players at the time? If you weren't, how can I call you the best American man? This will play a crucial role as we go on and on in this exercise. The opinion in this series are, of course, my own, and I am happy to debate them with any person kind enough to listen to this podcast. Apologies to Bill Tilden, who had 14 slams in the 20s and 30s, Don Budge, 10 slams in the 30s and early 40s, Pancho Gonzalez, 14 slams in the 50s and 60s. They won their slams prior to 1968, when only amateur men could play in those tournaments. While those three men were not considered when charting the history of the best American male tennis player, it is worth noting that Bob and Mike Bryan, John McEnroe, Pete Sampras, and Jimmy Connors are the only other American men to have won more than 10 grand slams. With that being said, the series will start in 1968, when the two are finally agreed to let professional male tennis players participate in Grand Slam events. With that in mind, we hope you enjoy our newest series here at Cracked Rackets, The Belt. So that's our introduction, folks. Hopefully you are all as excited for this series, The Belt, as we are. If you want a sneak peek to read ahead, be sure to go check out the article form of this podcast on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Want to give a couple of quick shout-outs before we wrap up. Shout-out to Blue Claw Music and Thomas Ackley for their song, America the Beautiful, hip-hop track remix, which we will be featuring throughout this series. And if you like it, be sure to go check out their YouTube channel as well. They deserve all the support they can get. Shout-out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he continues to do day in, day out. That's our introduction, but part one of the series coming up right away, and we are so excited to introduce our first winner of the belt, Arthur Ashe. (music) 
Hope you all enjoyed episode one of our newest podcast here at Cracked Rackets, the Inside Out podcast. We're really excited to not only have season one be out there, but to continue to work on seasons two and three and just use this platform as a way to tell some of our favorite stories from tennis's history, from tennis's past, because there are so many exceptional ones out there, right? And especially in a time like right now when there's no live tennis being played or to discuss, uh, it, or I should say to discuss discuss really in depth because there is live tennis being played and I'll talk about that in a second but you know it's great to take a time and you know figure out how we got here what are the stories that you know appeal to tennis fans that have captured the imaginations and pushed tennis even you know moving forward and taking it to its greatest height so we're really excited for that series can't emphasize enough how incredible the work super producer Daniel West uh, uh, super producer Daniel Westoff did uh, on this sort of podcast I know all of you will enjoy season one which again the belt focusing on the best American male tennis players throughout the open era. I know you all will enjoy that, so be sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review it, share with your friends. You can find it on whatever platform, the various platforms where people listen to podcasts, so be sure to go check all of that out. All right, with that being said, real quickly, don't want to leave you guys hanging heading into the weekend, so let's talk about some of the biggest news developments that came uh, on Thursday heading into this weekend. Uh, Let's start, again, with some of the financial backlash of this coronavirus pandemic and we are all feeling it tennis player or not you know you know the unemployment numbers in the United States become scarier each time they're released obviously and our hearts are always out there with all of those who are impacted by this pandemic but in terms of how it's uh no but but you know no but but examining the way it's impacting tennis uh uh, a group that is often forgotten about who is certainly feeling the backlash of this sort of uh, pandemic are the coaches out there. And we've talked about this before, but as the player relief fund uh, becomes more solidified, as those details seem locked in, it's going to be somewhere between $5 million, $6 million out to about 800 players. Uh, the people who have been forgotten about are the tennis coaches out there, and the most notable ones are obviously going to be just fine. The Darren Cahills of the world, the Sasha machines of the world, uh, the Patrick Moore to lose of the world, they will be just fine moving forward. But it's everyone else. You know, most coaches are not on year by year, you know, these long term contracts. Uh, most of them are weekly, monthly, some even daily, just to see, figure out if there's any sort of fit. And so many of them are paid on commission. It's X percentage of the prize money I win. It's X percentage of, you know, the fees I earn, the income I earn as a player. And when players aren't earning income, they don't have any anything to give out to coaches. They have no need uh, to support a coach in this moment uh, because any workouts they're doing, they can sort of do on their own right now or they can find someone on YouTube to guide them through it. And, you know, Stuart Frazier, who writes for the thetimes.co.uk, uh, uh, wrote an excellent piece talking about the struggles so many coaches are facing in this moment. And I think it's really something everyone should go read now. The Times does have a paywall, but Stuart Frazier produces so many pieces of excellent tennis journalism so I just think all of you uh, should go you know it's it's worth the subscription support tennis journalism however you can so uh, I think it's a really fascinating piece and I think all of you will enjoy reading that so be sure to go check that out he also has a really excellent piece on Paul Jubb who obviously was uh, the former South Carolina uh, standout NCAA champion in 2019 who just turned pro who will not be coming back for his senior season but uh, recently signed with Andy Murray uh, his 77 sports management agency 
I don't know if it's 77 or 77 sports management, to be honest. But, you know, for Paul Jubb, he's ready to go pro and he, because his game is ready and he's partnered himself with the people he believes will best uh, put him in a position to succeed. And it's hard to argue with the 77 sports management agency uh, because there's certain, you know, to have Andy Murray in your back corner as an aspiring British tennis player, uh, that's about as good as it gets. So it, it's another really fascinating piece that uh, Stu wrote for the Times. So be sure to go check that out as well. It was really well done. A couple of other things quickly because we're going to keep today's new segment on the shorter side. Uh, we learned that the French Open, who recently, you know, I think it was the French sports minister, if you remember a couple mini breaks ago, I went on a rant on how France has a sports minister, but the U.S. doesn't. And you would think in a country like the U.S. where sometimes the priorities are a little off, that something like a sports uh, minister would have already existed. Nevertheless, uh, the French Open announced that it will cancel and fully reimburse all tickets purchased for the 2020 tournament in its original May-June dates. This decision gives the tournament the freedom, if it does happen in new September-October dates, to sell fewer tickets and create more social distancing. It also, according, and this news comes from Christopher Clary at the New York Times, it also is clearly a decision that would allow the French minister said if there was no fans, they weren't going to have the Tour de France nor the French Open, but clearly that's something they're backtracking on. Clearly, the idea of playing the French Open under less than ideal circumstances still appeals to the French Tennis Federation. It's not something they want to cancel out the option of having. So uh, that's just an interesting piece of tidbit for all of you guys. Uh, In terms of, you know, getting back to the college tennis realm, uh, it, it, a really good piece in tennis recruiting from Rhiannon uh, Potkey about how coaches are recruiting during the shutdown, how the lack of tournaments, the lack of in-person visits, how they've adjusted. Uh, and there's a testimonials from Paul Goldstein at Stanford, Horace Choi at NYU, by the way. Horace Choi recruited yours truly back in the day. Anyways, they could talk to Allison Swain of USC, Sean Miami of Nebraska, Leslie Sheehan of BU, Benjamin Lamana of Baldwin. Uh, it's a really interesting, uh, again, testimonials to hear how all these coaches are adjusting, so be sure to go check that out at our friends at tennisrecruiting.net. Also, continue to check out the efforts of Chase Bartlett, who played at St. Edwards University, and for those of you who don't know, St. Edwards uh, canceled their program. It was a D2 school. Uh, just the financial necessities, uh, the financial impact of the coronavirus made it a necessity to cancel a bunch of different programs, and Chase and his teammates have continued. You know, we had a piece uh, on our website, CrackedRackets.com, from a member of the St. Edwards team talking about the impact of having that program canceled, what, you know, for him to have to make the decision to stay in his community where he's built this life or, you know, and give up pursuing his athletic dreams versus transferring elsewhere and being uprooted. It's, you know, it talks about the impact on a personal level of these financial decisions. So, you know, Chase uh, sharing another article on a, uh, you know, his thoughts on what this cutting of the programs uh, at St. Edwards means on Hilltop Views Online.com. You can all find it on Chase Bartlett's Twitter account at Chaser707. It feels like an easy one to remember, but it's a really good piece. I thank all of you 
college tennis fans in particular will enjoy. So be sure to go check that out. On a side note, these are, you know, from here, home stretch, so it'll get more and more fun, I suppose. The ATP has announced a, a partnership with Coursera uh, to provide players around the world with access to over 4,000 online courses. And, you know, this will be players can choose from a variety of courses across business, technology, data science, personal development, mental well-being, and learn new skills that will serve them both throughout their playing careers and non-playing careers. The courses are taught by the world's top university and industry educators. And if you haven't heard of Coursera, it means you just haven't gone to college in a while because that was something I was aware of as well. I know a lot of people who used it to get those additional resources. Uh, But, you know, the idea of this partnership, according to ATP chairman Andrea Gaudenzi, it will give players the chance to develop valuable new skills and knowledge that will be of benefit to them for the rest of their lives. We have a duty, meaning we, the ATP, uh, of care to our players, and this is an excellent opportunity for them to think long-term beyond their playing careers. The online format and versatility offered by the Coursera platform is a perfect fit, not only while at home, but also on the road once the tour resumes. And it says, starting May 7, 2020, players will receive an email invitation to start learning. Look, there's, there's nothing but upside to this decision, to this partnership, to provide players more resources, particularly because so many tennis players have been homeschooling, you know, for the so that they can focus on training since they were 14 to 15 years old. And for the majority of them, they didn't get the chance to attend college and they didn't get the chance to further their education. So to provide this resource to all the players, I can only hope that the WTA will partner with them as well soon or that there maybe there's an existing partnership similar that I don't know about, in which case I apologize. Uh, but this is uh, just a, a smart idea by the ATP, good from a PR perspective, good from the implicate the practical implications of it. Way to go. Hey, great shot by you, ATP. All right, more fun stuff moving forward. I have not watched Netflix's series Never Have I Ever, but word on the street it's fairly popular, and it's narrated by John McEnroe, and there's a really fun article in ESPN called John McEnroe on being the unlikely narrator for Netflix Never Have I Ever, written by Darcy Maine that I think all of you would enjoy reading, so be sure to go check that out. Some other good reads for you all this weekend. Go to itftennis.com to read the story of Brad Parks and wheelchair tennis and the history behind it because, you know, there are obviously so many fantastic wheelchair tennis players and it's such a fascinating aspect of our sport as well um, because, you know, you see it at all of the slams and just these, they're incredible. You know, any wheelchair tennis player, it's such an incredible athlete. It's such a difficult sport to execute. I can't emphasize that enough unless you've tried it, and I've been fortunate enough uh, to experience wheelchair tennis, and not only is it such a blast to play, but it's a you know such an amazing sport as well to watch, so be sure to go to itftennis.com, read that. Again, the story of Brad Parks and wheelchair tennis. Also, a really great story uh, of you know Moldovan tennis player Dmitry Baskov, uh, who has been working to feed uh, the poor in his local community has been working in local kitchens. It's a great story. Sports.ndtv.com uh, shared by Kamakshi Tandon. Uh, Kamakshi, of course, has shared so many great stories over time, but you can go find that on her Twitter account. That's an excellent tale. And then Marty Fish, who's hoping, uh, you know, who wrote about his perspective right now and opens about his struggles and talking about getting through this coronavirus pandemic together. I think that's something everyone will enjoy to read as well. Home stretch here now. The UTS at the Mortaloo Academy, that's the Universal Tennis Series, has been postponed due to June 13th uh, due to the French government regulations. Now, that's the bad news. The good news, they've added Luca Puy and Dustin 
Brown, and I believe uh, to the field that already includes Fonini, Gofan, Pear, and Paparin. Uh, so not while that's going to take a second to get rocking and rolling, it's interesting to hear you know more and more names emerge because everyone's clearly looking to not only make some money but play some tennis as well. They announced a gen- the Generali Open Pro Series in Austria. It's going to be 16 men, 8 women, 3 stages, round robin with 16 players, then 12, then 8. Players included thus far include Team, Dennis Novak, Barbara Haas, Tamira uh, Patschek, uh, and more to be named later. Obviously, that's interesting because, again, you see everywhere. And it's it's becoming more and more regional, which is something that was predicted because that's just the reality of the scenario we're living in. Uh, but more tennis events continue to emerge. And there are tennis events to watch this weekend. I think we're all excited about the Yimmers facing off tennis against Corona. Uh, this is an IMG tennis event. It will be broadcasted on Swedish TV, and it's to raise money for the COVID-19 relief in Sweden. So that's going to be a really fun event between the Yimmer brothers. And then, of course, there's the UTR series, uh, which you can all see on Tennis Channel this weekend. Subscribe to Tennis Channel on YouTube to watch that as well. I believe the field is Hercatch, Kesmenovic, Paul, and Opelka. And you know I will be watching that as well because we are all hungry for some live tennis. And then finally, just a little fun tidbit for you all who are listening, you know, for listening this long. Story of the weekend, definitely going to be featured in Overserve. Kirsten Flipkins, I once had a thing with Rafael Nadal. Fascinating for so many reasons. We don't, I'm, you know, I don't even know, need to go into it beyond that. But apparently there was a kiss, and that's that's great. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, the description is we didn't get much further, and this may just be a bad translation than giving hands and a kiss. What is giving hands? You know, I'm young. I like to think I'm up on the term. I've never given hands to a woman, and you know that just doesn't sound good. And I've never had a woman given give hands to me. I don't know what that means. Uh, Maybe she has, and I don't know what I'm saying, but, you know, fascinating term, fascinating storyline, a little bit of fun for all of us to head into our weekend. And of course, the reason we are able to have fun on these mini break podcasts day in, day out is due to the work of our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a of an any job to do as always, because it's not just this podcast. It's not just our brand new Inside Out podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, which I hope you all are all subscribed to at this point. You've liked, you've rated, you've reviewed, you've shared with your friends, but it's our YouTube channel as well, where super producer Daniel Westhoff is again just doing the coolest things. Uh, go check out Overserved. Our look at all the comedy that happens on tour week in, week out. Go check out CR Classics. Our look at some of the best matches in tennis history. And again, above all else, please go go subscribe to that new Inside Out podcast. Let us know what you think. And maybe in response, we'll let you know what Season 2 is going to feature because it's something we are very much looking forward to as well. Shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Again, go use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your tennis needs, and we continue to thank them for their continued support of the podcast. But with that being said, for Super Producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and from all of us here at both the Tennis Channel Podcast Network and Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break. And we all hope you all have an excellent weekend. Thanks, everyone. 